Hello there and welcome. It's all about personality today on Living Room Therapy. As for mine, I have a great sense of humor. I laugh at all my own jokes. Here's one. Why did Waldo go to therapy? To find himself. <laughs> oh, looks like Reed's waving you in. I hope you enjoy yourself in there today. Hey, have a seat. Uh, we were just talking about personalities. Yeah, and the many facets of personalities. So yeah, hang on to your seats. Uh, here we go. Personalities. What? What a subject. What a what a Pandora's box to open. We should let the viewers at home meet our fourth couch guest today. Hello, everyone. My name is Gareth. Pleasure to meet you. Hey, Gareth. I'm I'm pleased to know you already, and excited to learn more about you today. How shall we proceed? Well, you have had some therapy, some mental health therapy, psychotherapy, same as, as all the rest of us. Uh, but your experience is unique because you're you. So I would just like to hear a little bit about your experience with the helping field and with your own path in life in terms of how you do it. I don't know. I've had a, like most people have um, lives where they normally go through these kind of stages. It's like, oh, you know, I, uh, I'm in grade school. I'm in high school. I'm in, uh, you know, make, taking steps to go to college or find a career. I'm in college. Now let's have some kids. You know, people go through all these steps like this. But my life has been full of interruptions. Um, I had a brain tumor three times when I was a kid. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I come from like kind of a rough background, not from a rough background sense of like, I grew up in a rough neighborhood, but more like the home life wasn't conducive to growth. And honestly, you know, like counseling and like interacting with other counselors has kind of given me a like foundation to build on because, you know, like, have you ever heard that parable? You know, the guy, one guy built his house on the sand and one guy built his house on, you know, a stone foundation. Um, I was kind of the sand. And now I feel like I'm having to pick up all the pieces from that. For me, anyways, my condition, schizoaffective disorder, it's like a chronic illness. There's acute illness, which is like all of a sudden you've got a cold and you're sick. That's acute. Chronic is like something that comes, goes away, comes, goes away, you know, and you can't predict when it's going to happen. Um, that's why, you know, you take medication to kind of normalize the situation so you don't hit those downs because you know when you hit a down you know it's like a you know it, it's financially draining because you know you have to like seek out help or you can't work um it stresses out your support structure tell us what schizoaffective disorder entails okay so schizoaffective disorder is kind of like a schizophrenic component um and the affective disorder is like a mood disorder typically uh, in this condition, it is a depressive mood disorder. So it's kind of like, um, you know, dealing with delusions and such, but then also being depressed while you're doing it. So it's like, it's a hard road. Like when it kicks in, it's it's hard to manage. When you say when it kicks in, is there a, do you have an awareness that it is kicking in? It's It's very insidious. So it creeps in slowly, but then there's a certain point where you're like, okay, Things are getting out of control. The thing is, like, I never had any trouble because, like, uh, I was diagnosed back when I was 23. And, you know, I had, like, no real episodes 
until I got sick because I would like take my medication like normally. So I was like fine for like five years, no, no major episodes. Um, and then, you know, this whole thing happened and I was taking my medication and it was like making me sicker. Like I would be like anxious to the point of like kind of jittery feeling. Um, but then my symptoms went into remission and our, uh, my intestinal issues went into remission. So now I'm on medication again. And yeah, bring it, bring us up to date on, on the, the two different illnesses we're talking about, right? We heard about the schizoaffective disorder. You were diagnosed at 22 and then you've got uh, a ulcerative colitis and that was diagnosed when? Maybe like two years ago about. And how old are you now? 33. Okay. And so are you saying that the ulcerative colitis medicine was interfering with your mood or with those meds? I don't know. I was taking my mental health meds and it wasn't helping. Like I was still depressed. I was still psychotic. And on top of that, I was jittery and and not feeling well like it, it made me super anxious like i went to my doctor to prescribe some anxiety pills but those didn't really help i don't know all the physiology of what happened but my theory is you know things weren't being digested properly in my gut so i wasn't really getting the benefit of that i should have so you may have had some side effects possibly and that the weird thing is because i never changed my medication it always worked but they kept switching it on me. So, because I've went through like five different ulcerative colitis medications and none of them work. And has anything worked to date? Um, no, that's actually why I'm considering surgery. I see. To kind of to kind of like nip this all in the butt. Because I'm thinking long term. If I get like settled into a good career or whatever, and then I have to deal with this again. I told, I told one of my friends, I was like, dude, if I had to do this again, I cannot. <laughs> Okay, so if you if you remove the colon, you, you can't have colitis. You're much more likely to have colon cancer if you have ulcerative colitis. And then on top of that, you're more likely to have colon cancer if someone in your family has had it, and my grandpa just got it. Mm, so you have had a, even even if you'd had the, the perfect childhood, it would have been a rough road. I am of the impression, though, that, like, uh, you know, your trials, like, strengthen you. Mine has just been heavy because you carry a burden around with you. Everyone does, but I just feel like mine's a lot heavier than a lot of other people's. And you learn from life, like life teaches hard lessons. And I feel like I've been in school more than other people as far as like the school of life. The school of hard knock life. Yeah, where the colors are black and blue. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, all of the clients that I've worked with, the mental health clients who've had ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia, all of these sort of um, really hard to treat uh, physical ailments, none of them had anything close to a, to a nurturing childhood. They all had a lot of trauma. There's a correlation in my small data set, but I can't point for sure to causation. It's just suspicious. What about your delusions? Tell us, tell us what that those are like to experience when you're before your meds and after they stopped working. I'm a pretty grounded individual for the most part. You know, even when things are going crazy, I kind of keep my cool. But having delusions is kind of like riding a roller coaster, and this roller coaster is terrifying because you've like this is the first time you've ever been on a roller coaster, and you're like, oh my god, and 
but there's that there's that half of you that's like oh my god and then there's the other half of you that's kind of like i could get through this stay calm so there's like it's like this dichotomy of personality and i don't know if like i spoke with mental health specialists and they're like ah you probably don't have schizophrenia and and i kind of agree because like schizophrenia like when it's really extreme is like a total break from reality and i'm still pretty grounded for the most part so so that's why um, schizoaffective disorder kind of came up because you know it's kind of a mild form and the thing about it is that you can manage it for a while but like I said, it's insidious and it just keeps creeping and creeping and creeping until the point where you start doing some crazy things that are not logical. Like, so it's kind of like that shadow in the back of the room going, <laughs> I'm going to get you one day. I've heard addiction described in that same way. If you were going to personify addiction as this um, imaginary friend, but it's not a friend. It's very, again, like you said, sinister. Um as long as you aren't interacting with it, you say, you stay over in your corner, I'll stay here. Um, it's fine. But as soon as like, you know, if you take the drink or whatever, now he's got his hands around your throat and like, just take more, just take more. People without mental illness, they're not aware of that. But someone who like in my state, you know, I'm aware that there's always that thing in the back of the room. Yeah. Like, it's always there, you know, e like even still, but you know, he keeps his distance, which is fine. Um, but every once in a while he creeps in and tries to, you know, hey, yo. <laughs> so. Well, what's, what, what was one of your delusions that uh, would get out of control? Oh, man. I remember when I first got diagnosed, what happened was I was at Bible college and I was super stressed out because uh, I went there with the idea that like, oh, this is a college for people who want to like, you know, serve a higher power and a higher cause. And I get there and it's like all these teenagers, like you listen to their sermons that they tell people. And it's like, these are vile is such a strong word, but like they're kind of repulsive messages. Like there's no real purity to it. It's like a, like this one kid preached some message on like um, harlot, like Rahab the harlot, I believe. And he's like, be like Rahab the harlot for Jesus or something like that. And I was like, wow. So I got super depressed. I wasn't eating. I couldn't sleep. And that went on for like a month or two and then something snapped. Uh, I got sent to my grandma's and one of the big delusions that I had for a long time was that I was like talking to this girl I knew, uh, but she was in hell and she was saying that if I killed myself, then I can rule hell with her. And you're like, ooh, relief and get to do something cool. Um, you didn't uh, know this girl from hell beforehand, did you, Gareth? Actually, she was someone I was talking to. <laughs> And was she hellish or uh, demonic? I never met her in person. It was someone who I was like chatting with, you know, like texting over the cell phone. I was like so messed up that I just kind of withdrew from everything that was associated with that. Like this girl that you're talking about and you guys getting to rule hell together. There's some component of relief that... I see that is at the core of whether it's suicide or do you find that's true for delusions as well? Um, as far as what the delusion is and whether it's to kill yourself or whether it's to, I don't know, however it form it takes on, is there a, a component of relief that it's trying to, that's trying to be sought? Two things. 
there is that component of relief, like when you're contemplating suicide or whatever, at least for me, in my case, I'm not going to speak for everyone in the world. When you get so stressed out and the burden is so heavy that you're just exhausted, like you have no more willpower, you're just done. Another thing that's pretty interesting, especially in like bipolar with uh, mania and uh, what's the depressive component? Manic depressant. Yeah, manic, de well, there's a term, but yeah. So there's a mania and a depression. Um, I heard someone once say that, because a lot of people struggle with taking medication because they don't like see the full picture and the full benefit of how this is going to maintain stability in their life for them and the people around them. Uh, but there was this one chick who said, um, you don't know how high my highs go. And for me with this schizoaffective disorder, it's like having company in your mind. You know, you're thinking all these interesting thoughts. It's delusional, I know, but at the same time, like, I don't know, it's kind of like you feel like a genius in a way until it like really bites you because you're, you're like, wow, I never thought about stuff like this. And then all of a sudden it turns really dark and you're like, oh, shit, I can't do this. Do you miss having that friend around when your meds are working? No, I um, because I've seen how much like chaos it's caused. I've seen how it's like hurt my relationships and stuff. And like I said, you know, when I was talking about every time, you know, people go through high school and then college and then get a career, you know, everything's pretty, there's a nice flow to it. Those kind of things like mental illness are big interruptions, huge interruption. That's a good way to put it. And then you have to rebuild, right? And whether it's, I mean, again, back to addiction, I look at the relationships that I harmed and the repair and rebuilding that, you know, trust can be destroyed in a moment and it takes years to build. I, I'm, I'm grateful today for the relationships I've built, but I was not someone, I don't think anyway, uh, that you would want to have close to you. Um, Jacqueline, I need to defend you. Uh, did, did I know you when you were this despicable person that no one would want to be around? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well then you hit it from me really well because I always want to be around you. I was thinking that too. I think that was a little bit harsh on yourself because I didn't perceive that lack of trust during this time. I did experience a little fun and uh, <laughs> and some. Well, you're probably thinking about when we visited uh, Xanadu. No, what's the name of that? Uh, Hearst Castle. I'm. I am thinking right? about. Right, and we were. Now, that felt like an illness when we were staggering around that tour, feeling <laughs> like, uh, like I had the flu and cancer and um, uh, shame disorder all at once because of the super fun time we had at Morro Bay the day before. I do have a component of being hard on myself for that time. And there were a lot of great times. Um, don't get me wrong, but I have quite a lot of shame around that too. And, and, and blacking out or getting to that extreme, it's, you, you don't remember. And, and so like, I might take even more accountability now for what I wasn't taking accountability back then. And it is a little heavy and it, it may not be warranted or it may, I don't know. But I think I'm a much better friend today than I was back then. You've always been a good friend. <laughs> oh, well, 
Paul, what do you know? <laughs> I was there. I was sober. You were hungover. <laughs> yeah, you were. You drove us uh, around when we wanted when we didn't want to be moving, Paul. But he would not drive us on a quarter tank of gas. That was when he started to redline and he needed that gas tank topped off right away. I do have a little obsession around running out of gas. <laughs> it's one of the few areas of obsessive. It's the fine line between anxiety and care and caution. We, we couldn't have Paul without the anxiety. So we got the care and caution in the bargain. I don't think it was anxiety as much as... Oh, what, what was all the whining and weeping and gnashing of teeth about? I was definitely never doing any of that. I'm going to say a little bit. I would just ask you, is, is, do we have enough gas? Oh, you would squirm around like you had a turd in your diaper. <laughs> and you guys, we got we to gotta stop. We got to stop really soon. There's a lot of exaggeration it's going on. Here, tank. Well, I mean, we all have things in our past that we can't remember clearly. Obviously, Paul is. <laughs> I was sober, though. <laughs> and anxious as hell. Well, here's something I didn't understand. Okay. Uh, you didn't want us to run out of gas. I, I think it would have been a fun adventure to run out of gas. You never know who you're going to meet. Uh, it's risky, but. Uh, Ask but the, gas or grass? Well, the chaos is, uh, it, it can be exciting for, for some of us. But your anxiety, now I'm, I'm going to really pile on, pile on, Paul. You haven't heard me complain about this in a while. Your anxiety about running off the side of the road pushed you over the center line so that we were almost always having near head-on collisions on the Pacific Coast Highway. I have no memory of any of this. I must have blocked it out. Pure denial. I love how red his face is right now. I'm almost as red as your, your sweater. Well, that much stress can cause derealization is one, one of your psychotic symptoms, Paul. And it takes you, it takes you out, of, out of the moment where I'm grabbing the wheel and saying, dude, I don't... We, uh, we don't I thought wanna... that was the reverse where I grabbed the wheel from you when you fell asleep. Well, now you're changing the subject. <laughs> I must have my memories mixed up. I don't remember all I this, was but... so relaxed. You were sleeping? I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I appreciate you not letting us die because of my sleeping. And just as you probably appreciate me not letting us die because of your fear of the fog line. Can you um, verify any of this through journal entries, Reed? I'm not saying right now, but maybe in a future episode to just in your spare time, get out your journal. And I'd really like to see if we can put this argument to rest. I don't think it's an ar I don't think it's an argument. It's a lack of memory. I'm touching the journal right now. Well, are we going to go from our desk to your journal? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, let's... Let's let's hear more from Gareth. Uh, I talked to Gareth a little bit earlier, and he also talked to our friend Kristen. They were talking about personality psychology, and she she brought up Jung. And as far as I know, Gareth, I have not read. Any you haven't read any of them. Well, um, Paul and Reed are both members of the Young Society of Seattle. Is that correct, guys? The C.G. Young Society of Seattle. Thank you. Is the full name. Yes. They have attended countless numbers of events 
t tell me a little bit more so I know and everyone else knows what it is about his perspective. Why do you both gravitate towards it? And what do you see the value of it? Well, one of the things that I love is, you know, the Myers-Briggs that basically uh, categorize people in his uh, 16 personality types. Uh, so that's definitely um, a great thing for looking at uh, your personality patterns. Then I would also say the idea of a shadow that you have some sides of yourself that have been pushed into the unconscious because they're unacceptable. Then you also have a collective unconscious where there's certain archetypes available to you that are patterns that have been available throughout history. You know, you can think of that the mother, father complexes, teacher, the hero's journey. It goes on and on as far as the archetypes go. So these patterns basically do influence your life as well as your personality traits. You know, the more self-awareness you develop over time, your psyche is always talking to you, whether it be through dreams and other ways to compensate for your blind spots. So it's just a rich thing that he, he wrote in so many different areas. So would you say like a Myers-Briggs is the starting point of, like if you were just a person starting out and learning about this perspective? Yeah, that would be a, a great place to start is, is actually looking at, you know, whether you're extroverted or introverted, whether you use uh, your intuition or your sensing, whether you're a thinker or a feeler. And the way I think about it is more in terms of preferences. You have some muscles, much like your right-handed or left-handed, that you use more often, but you have access to both. You know, when you're using one a lot, it typically develops more than another. So if you're a thinker, you're always using logic. If you're a feeler, you may always be leading with your heart. And that really plays into how you make decisions, uh, whether you take energy, um, you know, from people and are always focused outward or whether you're more focused inward. So, it, you know, it's just good to be self-aware of your preferences. And then over time, you know, uh, you may want to develop some other of your auxiliary functions as well and strengthen them. And again, it's just something that to be aware of it is, is a good thing because, again, you can't really bucket you know, 8 billion people into 16 buckets in the Myers-Briggs, but you can notice patterns between people. And, you know, the person who's your opposite type is always the person who's hardest to deal with. You can imagine someone who talks all the time and someone who's more introverted and doesn't talk all the time. You may get sick of hearing someone talk all the time or the other person maybe just want to have time to quietly reflect. So if you found that a certain pattern was that you were introverted or maybe more of a feeler, then that also gives you an avenue to... Um, develop more logic or more yes think of a drawbridge right so if you're a feeler and you're talking to someone's logic and you let's say you had to lay people off because we're currently going through times of COVID, for example uh, a feeler is going to be thinking much more about uh, the person's job how it's going to impact their family how it's going to impact uh, the person's mood and, and all the other responsibilities where the logic person is Hey, we got no revenue coming in. Our restaurant's closed. We got to lay people off as fast as possible to try to survive. And to someone who's very logical, they may not understand feelings as well. And for someone else who's feeling, would would the logic person would appeal very cold and heartless. I, I'm glad you brought up the Myers Briggs because that's like the thing that kind of stemmed me a bit towards this direction. And one of the things that I like because you know you talked about these 16 personalities and there's like the extroverted, introverted, feeling thinking so all those um is that they're on a spectrum so it's not just oh i'm introverted 
It's like I'm kind of introverted because when I I took the Myers-Briggs when I first started college and then I was an INTJ, um, which is kind of like an architect, like the, in the on the thing they classify it as an architect. And then as I became more comfortable and I learned more and I had a lot more inside myself that I wanted to express, it kind of migrated over to the E. So now I'm an ENTJ. Um, and I've read both profiles on the webpage and I was like, wow, you know, not everything applies to me, but this is kind of like a blueprint. Yeah. And you can kind of think of yourself, um, as a blend of those types. And I'm very much split between, uh, thinking and feeling pretty evenly, for example. And, uh, you know, that can be impacted, uh, as well. Typically you don't wildly change your profile, but, the, but you have typically access to at least half of those uh, sides of yourself. And then the other half are more in, you know, in the shadow, so to speak. And it's, it's just good to be aware of, of those things. And again, people react differently under stress. And the way I like to think about it, the, the phrase that I took away from, uh, I did this insights training um, through Microsoft, which is like an advanced version of Myers-Briggs. Uh, and when you're working with someone who's the opposite of you, you want to say something like, help me see what you see, because you really want to understand, because the person who's completely opposite than you, who has the complete opposite of you in every area, is going to be the person you have the most trouble with. Because if you're extremely extroverted and they're extremely introverted, imagine that. Imagine if you were a thinker and the other person's a feeler. Imagine if you use intuition and see the big picture and the other person's a sensor. So you see the forest, they, they, they see only the trees. In terms of judging and perceiving, um, the judger's the person who's actually plans everything. And uh, Jacqueline's more a P in terms of she likes to be spontaneous. Um, so you can imagine just the, the differences between someone wants to plan this camping trip and wants everything laid out to know where they want to go and have every detail planned out. Meanwhile, the other person just wants to get in the car and go. He's already in the car with the keys yeah, going. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, and <laughs> pedal to the metal. Yeah, and that's where your drawbridge, where you actually think about it. You all, both have to understand each other, meet each other's halfway. And that's where, you know, and there's there's benefits to both sides. If you think about a board of directors, for example, uh, you really want to have everyone's opinions. Some people who are introverted can really think deeply about certain subjects. Other people might be great at public speaking and expressing it and marketing and selling. Um, you know, so it really does take, take all types in order to have a really effective group decision making. So that's something else that you want to think about too. Uh, it's just, you know, sometimes when you're, you want another opinion. You want somebody who has a different Myers-Briggs type than you to help you make certain decisions. Well, Gareth mentioned developmental stages and Jung believed that we are born as a self. All of the components are there except for the experiences outside the womb. Um, so we have all these traits that we've been talking about that are inborn and we have gifts and talents and uh, approaches to life. And as we uh, experience our family life, hopefully we're in a family, certain of those gifts and talents and traits are rewarded and certain of them are punished. And he um, wrote that the ones that are rewarded become our persona and the ones that are punished go into our shadow. And that the purpose of psychotherapy is to individuate, which 
he defined as becoming yourself. So you're, you were yourself and then you weren't, and then you try to get back to yourself, which you never will. It's a, it's a lifelong process. The persona is conscious, so we're very aware of, of how, we, how we operate in the world. Most of our behavior, according to C.G. Jung, was, is, uh, is motivated by unconscious impulses. That's where he and Freud sort of agreed, is that there's more going on unconsciously than consciously. And the way that you can become yourself is to embrace all of your parts. And what's in the shadow needs to cross over into awareness, into consciousness, through glimpses that it offers up. You have dreams, there we interpret them, you have daydreams, you have intuitions, you have synchronicities, which are sort of magical feeling uh, coincidences, and all of that reveals who you are. Some of the shadow is really cool stuff that you weren't allowed to, to exhibit in childhood, maybe very talkative, maybe very reserved, maybe studious, maybe coarse, and you embrace them. Maybe you're a thief, maybe you're a liar. To uh, repress those parts of you, since they are part of you, not only makes them stronger and you're less able to um, deal with them. So obviously we don't want to be a thief or a liar in, in most cultures, um, but to know that you have that in you is vital. So I have a question then, because you're talking about the shadow um, and also the objective is to get back to yourself when you were essentially before you had experiences. Um, and, you know, we've had experiences, so we can't like rewind everything. But the idea is like to have that, that headspace that we had then. So how do you like say, oh, that was the shadow and how do I deal with it? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, dreams is as a primary mechanism. Marie-Louise von Franz was C.G. Jung's uh, chief collaborator. She wasn't credited on a lot of his papers and, uh, and uh, books that he published uh, because she was a woman, but uh, he respected her very much and they worked very closely. So she only did dream work. She would meet you, she would agree to work with you, and by the way, you would probably be too young for her to work with. She waits until you've got so much uh, psychic material that has been suppressed consciously or repressed unconsciously that it would be flooding out in dreams. You would do interpretations together, and that was it. You wouldn't do any other kind of work except dream work. The same dream over weeks and weeks and then on to the next dream. And so that's a primary source of, uh, of how the unconscious wants to expose itself. So you, you mentioned um, you analyze these dreams and that's it. So how would analyzing these dreams go about? Would it be um, we talk about this dream and then come back to it next week and see rehash it and see what we come up with this next time and then keep doing that until we conclude that, hey, we've done enough? Great question. Typically, you write it down, you read it out loud, 
you remember things usually through that process that you that you add to your writing and more and more details will come out um, at this point it, it's important to point out that there are no pat answers to dreams a river doesn't necessarily mean the course of your life a car doesn't mean your way to get to what you want a house doesn't mean your life but they certainly can and so if you and I were, were doing dream work I would ask you well what what associations do you have with a blue fish or whatever the characters are in the dream the cage changed size in the dream what does that mean to you and so it's just uh, attending to this material which is what the the dream maker wants and obviously there's no way to know what our unconscious is really up to except that we expend a tremendous amount of mental energy on generating dreams so why um, evolutionarily would that happen it, it seems counterintuitive that there would be no purpose for it um, and so to answer your question you work on it week after week other dreams are added to it that sometimes uh, seem to come in series. Repeated themes come up. If you, if you keep a dream journal, you're going to see the theme, same themes coming up, and you're going to see recurring dreams, which are really important, uh, we presume. I have a really cool reoccurring dream where I've been in this labyrinth, and I get to the center, and I open this door, and I come up and I'm, I have this uh, bird's eye view of the labyrinth that I've just been in. I don't know how many times I've had that dream, but it's been a long time. But I always thought that was so cool and so symbolic. And it felt so good being able to look down over this labyrinth that I've been in. Well, kind of like a maze labyrinth, I'm not sure. but That's amazing. You know, a lot of times we'll have dreams and then we'll be reading. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be reading Greek mythology and you'll say, whoa, uh, a god uh, stuck in a maze being hunted by a mortal. That's that's old stuff. Uh, this is from the, the collective unconscious, um, the bird's eye view. And when did it stop? You say it's been a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, I probably haven't had it for it could have been up to 10 years ago. So when you found your way to grad school? Maybe. <laughs> wow. It's a long and winding road. Can I go back to the shadow real quick? Shadow it up. Well, yeah, I just wanted to comment. So another way of working at the shadows, let's say hypothetically uh, artwork or music wasn't allowed in your house because your parents disapproved of it. Men don't do out artwork, for example. <laughs> uh, one of the things you could do is later in life re redevelop that part that was pushed down. And then, you know, you could incorporate artwork by taking art classes or music classes later in life. And so, again, part of, you know, becoming a whole person or yourself, you're supposed to be ever, that unique person or that unique chip in the mosaic of life that you're supposed to be. And very often, you know, integrating that part of your shadow is uh, a great step to take. Yes. The more you explore, the more of you you'll discover. The dream work for me, one of the things that happened to me uh, is I had several dreams about leaving Microsoft before I actually did leave Microsoft. And so that was one of the key uh, 
decision points that my psyche was telling me that uh, Microsoft wasn't as important to me as it once was and that I was being drawn more to psychology and then more to other areas of life than purely finance. Uh, so that played a big role, uh, you know, in my decision to leave. There has been a lot of self-discovery through my dreams. I haven't had a therapist who was into dream interpretation. And so I've had to do a lot of it alone, which Von Franz would say is not as productive as when you're working with an analyst because you can't see your own back, mm. which dreams reveal. Um, but I had a dream in college. I had just started working at uh, a job where I was exposed to a whole population of gay people. And that was new for me as a 19-year-old. I met one or two maybe through high school. And then in this college job, here I was uh, um, basically a minority as a heterosexual in this office. And so I was discovering all the lame things that you discover in, uh, in adolescence when you're exposed to uh, diversity. And that is, oh, they're okay. They're not scary. They're not weird. They're not bad. Um, not that I necessarily thought any of those things, but this confirmed it. And they were great and fantastic in, in ways that were in contrast to the dumb shit uh, heterosexual males that I was exposed to in, uh, especially my first year in college where I was in a fraternity. So I was uh, exploring sex in the first place. I was learning about the lives of uh, folks that were that were flamboyantly gay, that were closeted, that were, um, you know, sort of seemingly heteronormative. This big mosaic, Paul, of these folks, of this whole population that I was learning so much about so fast. And so I had a dream of uh, being on a beach, on this gravel beach and I was walking along the water and swimming up to me came a snake and it came up and I was a little bit afraid and uh, what was this was this thing gonna bite me what was it gonna do and it didn't it, it just stayed in the water just kind of swam around and then up came this big blue fish with a big gaping wide mouth and for whatever reason I was compelled to grab gravel and to shovel it into this fish's mouth until it was full and that was the end of the dream I brought that to work and was telling one of my gay co-workers and I said I don't have any idea what this could possibly mean and he said Really? A phallic symbol swims up to you and you're afraid of it. And a gaping mouth that is serene and blue uh, is the alternative. And that's the one you choose to fill. 
Um, seems kind of on the nose. So that was my first experience with dream interpretation uh, that I could could not see myself. A lot of imagery in that one. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'd been brought up by a southern gentleman who had been in the military and whose greatest – one of his greatest fears was that I would uh, be gay. And so he transferred some of that – some of that uh, fear unconsciously onto me because I wasn't afraid of, of being gay. I, you know, I'd had, I'd had opportunities and it wasn't me. But there was still a fear down there somewhere that I needed to attend to. Um, the reason I got into the personality thing was because, again, personal enrichment. Um, I wanted to see what this says about me so that I could use it. And I don't know. One of the things I always struggle with is that people don't see things the way I do. Like, um, I don't know. It just feels like I'm set apart. And uh, when I read up on my personality profile, I was like, oh, Okay. That makes sense. Um, first off, there's only like 3% of the population who's ENTJ. Definitely set apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, wow, okay. And then um, and then you kind of read up on the personality. And I'm not exactly like, like one of the things that is kind of common to like the commanders is they kind of tend to get arrogant and, but they, but they do lead, which is cool. Um, and, but I don't know it's always been ingrained in me. Like I have this like humility complex where it's like, if I feel like I'm stepping on someone's toes, I'm like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And, and I guess that's like counter of what is laid out in my personality. And I'm kind of coming to the idea because I don't like that about myself where I always have to feel sorry for what I'm doing. It's to me, it's not healthy. It's, well, it's because they are decisive people who love momentum and accomplishment. They gather information to construct their creative visions, but rarely hesitate for long before acting on them. Your time is limited, so don't waste it. Pretty much. So I'm impulsive. So when things go slow, um, it kind of bothers me. And when, like, one of the big things on them, too, is that they're critical. And I'm critical. Like, it, it's kind of messed up reading the profile because it doesn't exactly jive with me. Because it says, you know, like, they'll cut you off, like, in a minute. Like, you know, if if they don't like you, you're gone. Like, I worked very hard to avoid that. Um, because, like, you know, I grew up in the church, and a lot of times it's like that. Like, you do something and everyone finds out, and you're out. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be that. That's messed up. Because if you go to 16personalities.com, um, it lists your profile and then it lists your strengths and your weaknesses, how you handle your friends, how you handle romantic relationships. Do you think of yourself as a leader, Gareth? I do, but I don't want to like there's a there's a quote that I like that I picked up when I was younger. It says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people who walk into a room and say, hey, there you are. And then there's the type of people who say, hey, I'm here. And, I, and I'm more the guy who's like, hey, there you are. You're, you're what's important. You know, I'm, I know I'm strong. I know I have good attributes, but you're the important component in this interaction. That reminds me, and that's something that we were taught uh, in our graduate school and counseling was leading from behind. I think you're right. There's two different kinds of leaders and the ones who say, hey, this is the way to do it. You follow me. And then there's the, the leaders who allow you to lead, uh, allow you to 
take your path and they guide kind of from behind. Um, All right. Uh, I love that you made that point. Can I make one more point? <laughs> of course you can. First? <laughs> okay. So as a personal trainer, because I like, I probably wouldn't have never gotten that lesson like until later in life, but I worked as a personal trainer for years. And one of the things I kind of concluded, because at first I was like, oh, do this, do that, do this, do that. But I realized one day they're not going to have a trainer anymore and they're going to have to be able to take care of themselves. So there's kind of this tactful thing of like being the leader some of the time and then letting them take the lead and, you know, get comfortable with what it's like when they're in charge. Hey, Gareth, have you taken the big five personality traits test? I took it at Central, but I just don't remember the profile because it had us try like three or four different ones. I heard of the big five. I don't remember if I took it. Yeah, it it uh, it has been um, validated uh, to death, and so it is very predictive of uh, of a lot of outcomes. It measures, if you recall, it measures openness, which is creativity, openness to uh, alternative points of view, conscientiousness, which is orderliness and industriousness. Uh, extroversion, which we all know what that is. Agreeableness, which is your ability to lead or be led or, and your tendencies. And neuroticism, which is the strength of your uh, emotional feelings, both positive and negative. They, they sometimes call neuroticism natural reaction so that it doesn't trigger the, the ones who score high in, in neuroticism. Um, so I have found that to be really helpful in my work with folks, especially who complain about not getting enough done. And it, it shows where they can push against their natural tendencies um, in artificial ways because they don't come naturally. I would add that there's also, if you want to look at personality stuff, it's not near as validated or, uh, or accepted, but the Enneagram work is another work that looks at uh, nine personality types uh, and has uh, a, a nice addition. If you think of Myers-Briggs as one way of looking at it, the Enneagram is another way of looking at it. And there's a nice intersection between the two. Yeah, you sound like a four, Gareth, uh, in the Enneagram. They think they are uh, uh, very much set apart. The reason I went into the personality thing is because I wanted to understand my needs. Because one of the themes that kind of came up uh, through this um, last like bout with my mental illness was I was I realized people were not meeting my needs, and I know that sounds kind of greedy. The fact is, you know, you need like certain things from interactions to to have like your spirit fed, and. I wanted to learn how can I feed myself more? And then if I understand someone else's personality, how can I use that to like feed them and teach them to take care of themselves? And that's, that's the big draw for me right there. I wouldn't say that needs are a hundred percent correlated with like Myers-Briggs and other things. And I would think about it. There are other ways of getting at your needs, but you know, one way of thinking about your needs is what would you crawl over broken glass for? What are the things that absolutely you need to make if if you look at your week? Uh, what makes you know you know your week? And you know I'll just throw out some for me. You know I need good deep conversations. Um, 
That's one thing. Certainly, uh, being out in nature is another one that I, I really need. Um, then, of course, there's things like music. A lot of people, you know, music. Uh, I need personal growth, intellectual stimulation. You know, certainly we all need safety and security and Maslow's hierarchy. But for each person, they're unique and have a, a certain preference for those needs. And, and again, they're unique to the person. Some people really, you know, a, a day without a book would be, you know, horrible to them. Other people, it's music. Other people um, are more loners than they are. Other people need community much more than others. Other people need religion. And again, each person's unique in, in some ways, but uh, there's some threads across people. Well, I need antiseptic after I crawl across the broken glass and go out <laughs> in nature. Uh, I do not want to get infection. That's just me. I think the personality thing is like a, uh, it's kind of like the need, what I'm trying to express personally was the needs, like the social needs. Like I understand, yeah. you know, when I read a book, I get this or that, but you know, how do I connect with other people? Cause you know, we spoke about like me feeling like I'm alone and set apart. So how do I overcome that and feel like I'm part of the pack and, and, you know, valued and so on and so forth. So a strong need for connection is, you know, is important to you. Yeah. And, and, and again, some people have a very strong need for connection. Other people, uh, less so, uh, much like, um, you know, some people need lots of friends. Other people need a few good ones. But it sounds like you're just like your Myers-Briggs changes or just like um, as we become more aware of the unconscious or the shadow, we are becoming more ourself. We're becoming more integrated or individuated. And so I think we also become more clear of what those needs are. And then like Paul said, like we won't compromise on what that is. Uh, okay, I'll describe. When I was young, like um, I've always been into fitness. So like when I was young, I had like a really good body. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like sets you apart in your mind. You're like, oh, I'm fitter than everyone else. And it's like, cool, because it's like I worked hard to make this happen. But now that I'm older and like things are just kind of settling down, I'm like, hey, you know, just relax. And like, and I liked like another thing, if you like read the full profile on, on what I was, um, they thrive on intellectual conversations. And a lot of conversations are pretty basic. Just because that's been a large part of your identity is whether it is being because I, I can relate to that too that that competitive spirit where it's like I I wanted to be better and whether it's to be set apart or why the, what the reason was it, it doesn't really matter I guess for me but um, like the value that I get today out of um, sitting down with you guys for an hour and a half or you know spending time just reading in bed next to my husband or holding and just being close to people holding Evelyn um, is so so important to me and so enriching that I'm seeking this out today you know and I guess that's what I'm hearing from you is a real desire to like take action on that it's easy to say I'm gonna do it but then to actually do it is like another thing oh sure yeah so yeah I gotta actually make it happen but and here's something else that's kind of creeping up in my mind from this conversation is that 
so the way I grew up was very like I didn't have a lot of interaction. And one of my friends who's kind of like grew up in a church and everything, he kind of hit the idea on the head. There's this kind of idea that like the father is the leader of the home and children are meant to be seen, not heard. I didn't interact with a lot of people on like meaningful ways. So I'm not really aware of my needs and what fulfills me. And I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, and I'm learning bits and pieces here, but you know, it's, it's a work in progress. Well, and notice the difference between fitting in and belonging. When we, tr when we try to fit in, you know, then we know we're in the wrong place because you don't have to try when you truly belong. And I think it's, it is key to our development to not to, 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 to notice that when your needs are not being met, when you're uh, just, you think you're with the right people because they may be who you want to emulate or who you aspire to be like, but that's going down the wrong road. That's not your road. Okay, since you're an older gentleman with many years under his belt. Um, <laughs> That's so sweet. This, flattery, flattery, flattery. This, this is essentially like what we talked about that last time where um, uh, that one young person asked the older individual, like, what's the secret to life? And he said, love. Essentially, you did that, but with the word belonging. Mm. So now I want to ask you, what are avenues I could take, or people who are listening anywhere, what are some ways to find places healthy that you can belong to? Great question. And the fact that you're asking the question means that you are a seeker. And so we can't expect those people to come and find us. That would be a, a childish fantasy. I've been there. Uh, and so it, it, it's called a journey because we're moving. And so we go to meetups, we go to churches, we go to meditation uh, retreats, we go to uh, quilting bees, we find people who like um, hobbies that we've never heard of. Nowadays, we've got COVID, we've got Zoom, it's not the same. Uh, we've got social distancing uh, that, that may or may not be employed where where you venture to go but it it is an exploration and it's very taxing on people that are af not like you who are afraid of rejection but buddy that's a big part of life those people who reject you are going to help you help steer you toward the places where you belong well said <laughs> yeah, who knew I belonged with these two, right? <laughs> we felt it though. We did. We, we felt it right from the right from the get go. Uh, on paper, we are those weird animal friends that you wouldn't suspect uh, could could be in the same barn, right? But th those are the best groups, though, because if Jacqueline is a fish. She can't climb up the tree, but Paul can and get the little apple, and then, <laughs> then you guys have a party. Is he, is he a chimpanzee? What is Paul? I don't know. <laughs> What's your spirit animal? <laughs> I, 
I, I have we'll, no we'll idea. We'll get into spirit animals next animals. time. Who, uh, Paul, you have, or no, who, Reed, you have some spirit animal cards? Ooh, I sure do. Yes. Yeah, we'll get into those next time. Uh, absolutely. I'm a silverback gorilla. Oh, protect the, protect the, protect the, whatever they call the group of gorillas. Hey, let me, let me ask you this, Gareth. So, so if you could be any animal at all, other than a human, you'd be a silverback gorilla? It's not like my first choice because it's like not the coolest. Like I like the fact that like he's the silverback is like the dominant alpha who makes sure that like everyone in his little society functions properly. He manages the hierarchy to make sure, you know. Okay. All right. He's your spirit animal. That's that is that is uh, in the book. But if you could be an animal, what what would it be? I like the owl. I like the symbolic gesture of how owls are wise. I like how they're night creatures. They can fly and they just they look fantastic okay go google owl feet it's great <laughs> owl feet it's great okay so if you couldn't be an owl or a human what would your second choice be something exotic i like cheetahs beautiful they're hella fast and i don't know like you see them when they're with their young and they're just i don't know they're like little kitty cats they're just beautiful Beautiful, beautiful, another beautiful answer. Thank you. Last question. Okay. If you couldn't be an owl or a cheetah or a human, what would you be? Kangaroo. I saw a kangaroo kick some dude's ass on the internet, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> any, other, any other reasons besides ass kicking? Um, I mean, they are marsupials. It's kind of cool how like they're young, even after they're born, still live with them inside mm -hmm. and like pop out you know, to get some food and stuff and then crawl back in the pouch. Okay. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's like, that's like mom's doing extra credit work. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, allow me to interpret your test results that you just took. Oh, <laughs> I think we might've done something like this in grad school. We've done this on the road. This is completely unscientific. It's like your, your astrological reading, but here it comes anyway, no charge. All right. The first animal that a person picks and we know that you picked an owl, wise and night flyer and quiet and graceful and strong. Uh, that Those are the features that you aspire to. Sounds good. The second animal that a person picks is how other people see him. Exotic, fast, um camouflaged um brightly colored um what else what else is is a cheetah graceful yeah they're predators too they... do you think people see you as a as a fast graceful predator who's really sweet with 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 kids i'm not aware of how people perceive okay well now you know this is how people perceive you <laughs> i'm an exotic that's cheetah right. that's super fast that's right <laughs> Uh, and the last animal is your true essence. I, I loved when he started talking about a kangaroo and they have their young inside of them. Inside of them. And you get to take care and love them. I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Like, you know when things align in a certain way and you're like, oh my God, it must be a sign. That's what this feels yeah, like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that, Reed.
I appreciate that. Yeah, we 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 should all care for for our for the little one inside of us like you do. Our inner child. I don't know. Maybe someday, because I will take a trip back out to Washington eventually. So I don't know. I'd like to meet you guys in person. Maybe have some coffee or something. Or we might do a road trip someday. Oh, that would be awesome, dude. <laughs> Stop by here and let me tag along part of it. I swear I will bring my best content. Once once we get our sponsor, I mean, I think, was it Amazon or was it Microsoft that was looking to fund us? Whichever one it was. They're, they're fighting over us. They're, so they it, 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 we haven't accepted either offer. So once they do and we get the van and we we can uh, get the living room on the road. We'll have the couch in the van and we'll be mobile. We'll come to Utah. Whoa, that would be so cool. Interview people across the country too and like get different <laughs> like state perspectives yeah. and stuff. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh man, I, oh, I hope your thing takes off like so high. This would be great for you and I'm sure you'll have like a wide audience of people you can help because I don't know. You guys seem like a balanced group. Thanks, so I Garrett. Appreciate that, that you let included me. Final, final thought. Sorry, this just popped in my head. You know how there's like different psychologists, like uh, like prominent psychologists, like Jung is one, and I can't think of any right now at the top of my head. Um, Skinner, <laughs> Freud, but Adler. You know each. <laughs> okay, you got me, guys. You got me. Uh, Burn. <laughs> um rogers but but there's all these different what we call like lenses <laughs> and you know we were talking about personality earlier and it's like all these different personality profiles that are on this website it's like seen through a different lens because you know it's like people would come to you for counseling and you're like i don't really know where you're coming from but you read this profile and kind of get a feel for how their lens perceives the world around them again i feel like you could Teach him to fix. Hey again, I'll see you out. Did you enjoy yourself? I sure do hope so. On behalf of Reed, Jacqueline, and Paul, I want to thank you for your time. I've heard there's going to be some pretty awesome folks stopping by. For more information, check out Living Room Therapy on Facebook or Instagram. And we hope to see you soon. The world like I